Hello and welcome to another wizards. edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. podcast. Been standing here. Uh, happy network. holidays Your once team. again to everybody. Hope you guys are having a great week, even though the Wizards did not do their part with another surprising, although I don't know if that's surprising anymore, but another uh, befuddling loss uh, Wednesday night to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the Wizards get back at it on Friday against a very good team in the Houston Rockets, so we'll see what kind of performance they put up. But on today's podcast, joining me from the Locked on Rockets podcast, Ben DuBose, to give us the latest on what's going on with Houston. Uh, yeah, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, they may not be playing, but Houston's got a lot of other firepower. They also have guys like Nene, who we're familiar with. So we got into all that and uh, so, some other fun topics uh, with regard to the Wizards, the Rockets on another crossover podcast. Just as a quick reminder, you can find all of our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you do your podcasting. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at Ben Standig, and you can hit me up on email at bstandig1 at gmail.com. And uh, I should have mentioned, I probably don't mention it enough, but you know there are a lot of really interesting podcasts, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, whether you're an NBA or an NFL fan, the teams are out there, people like me doing their part to help cover their team, so check out the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, before we get into this conversation with Ben, we, we we did go for a little bit here, so I don't want to delay too long. Uh, a couple quick things. One, uh, I had an idea from uh, our friend uh, Rasheen about an idea, New Year's resolutions for each of the Wizards, uh, including the players, Scott Brooks, Ernie Grunfeld. Uh, you know, I, I thought that might be a good idea. I'm gonna see if I can bang that out at some point this week. Uh, but I thought I would see if you guys could help me out as well. Give me your resolutions for everybody. Keep it clean. It's a family show for the most part. Um, but uh, l- let me know what you think. You can be straight. You can be serious. You can have. You can, you can, you can make it funny. Whatever you got for the players. For 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 the coach. For the front office. Whatever have you. You know, just keep it to a couple sentences. But uh, do that. Email me, bstandig1 at gmail.com. Or you can tweet me, at Ben Standig, and maybe do hashtag WizResolutions. Cool? All right, so that would be fun. You guys could do that in the next day or so. That would be a, that would be a, a lot of fun uh, for us. Now, um, lastly, I'll just say this. You know, I, I, I Twitter is not a, a true reflection of what everybody thinks out there. Nonetheless, I did see some people today pushing back on the idea that one game, one loss against the Hawks, no big deal. And I would just like to state for the record, that is absolutely insane. (laughs) If you haven't heard yet, I did my entire podcast yesterday uh, without even really having watched the game, as I stated up front. I watched some of it, but I I didn't have a chance to watch all of it at that point. And stated how this was not a one-off, hardly. Hardly in this month alone, they've lost to Utah by 46 points. They tra- they lost to Brooklyn twice, and they f- trailed Brooklyn by 40 points in that game. Even in some of their wins, including home victories over Memphis and Clipper in the in the LA Clippers, two teams that are down this year and compl- and, and missing big players in their lineups, the Wizards barely eked out wins or looked uninspiring in getting those Ws. This has been an issue that's gone on all season. And as I, you know, among the things I said in the podcast yesterday, which, you know, uh, you know, well, it's up there. You can go back and listen to it if you want. But among the things I said, look, yeah, sure, you can make the case that there won't be any of these bad teams, teams with losing records in the postseason. That's totally true. 
But if you don't create winning habits now, it is really hard to ensure you're going to have them when you need them. We've seen the Wizards, even in the playoffs, look like they think they're just going to show up and win a game, and then they don't do that. You've got to create winning habits now to make to get ready for the postseason. And by the way, we're not even, I don't even know if I mentioned this, but, you know, there is a seed thing involved. I mean, right now, the Wizards are sort of in that four or five, or I think, what are they, the five seed right now? It doesn't matter. Point is, if you're, if you're the five seed and Cleveland's the one seed, well, okay, great. Now you're facing Cleveland around earlier. Or even worse, if you slip down to seven or eight, now you have to face Cleveland or Boston in round one again. I'm not, and let me not discount Toronto by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just, uh, you know, point is, you know, if you want home court advantage, at least in round one, you got to get to at least a top four seed. You want to avoid whoever you believe is the best teams in the East at that point. You need to get out of that six, seven, eight range, most likely. Um, so, you know, you gotta, you gotta start winning just for the practical reasons of the seed, and you gotta start forming good habits. You can't just take every night off. So, you know, the, anybody who's saying this, uh, this is no big deal, they lost to the Hawks, whatever, no. No, no, don't buy into that. Stop, stop, stop. You know, do the, you know, plug your ears and just go, no, 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 no. <laughs> if somebody wants to say that, it is not a one-off. First and foremost, if they hadn't lost those other games, if they haven't looked inconsistent all year, we could make that claim. We can't. Come on, you guys know that. I, I have faith in the listeners here on the Lockdown Wizards podcast. You guys know better than that. Uh, you know, the Wizards have lots of talent. There's a lot of reasons to believe that they can compete at the highest level in this league. We've now seen them do that. They just have to do it. And, you know, I'm not, Scott Brooks has said this all year. Like, I'm going to keep saying it now, I guess, until, uh, until we have people who stop saying things like it's, also, it's no big deal. It's just one game. So with that said, there's one game, uh, coming up. On Friday, it's going to be a fun one. Wizards, Rockets, James Harden in town. You know, it's funny. I don't even think we really even talked that much about James Harden in this podcast. But we got a lot of other topics. Uh, what I think is the key for the Rockets uh, team this year, at least when it say comes to facing Golden State. Uh, ben, ben and I discussed the idea of, is this a game where, John, where it shapes up pretty nicely for John Wall? Uh, we, we got into the nene of it all. And, and what Houston's three-point binge shooting does what it really means for the big picture of the NBA. That and more here with Ben DuBose of the Locked on Rockets podcast in just one second. All right, as promised, joining us from the Locked on Rockets podcast uh, with with Houston coming into D.C. on on Friday. We've got to get a look ahead and see what's up with James Harden and and those uh, crazy guys is Mr. Ben Dubose at, at, on Twitter, at Ben Dubose. Ben, uh, always a pleasure talking with another Ben. Uh, how, uh, how, are things, yeah. <laughs> how are things going for you post-Christmas? I mean, it, you, you've got a fun situation to cover, whereas my team is maddening. Your team is just continually seems to be on the up and up and up for the most part. Yeah, for the most part, until the past week, they have lost uh, three in a row, and we'll see what happens tonight when they're in Boston. It's a back-to-back for the Rockets. But I'm thrilled to get back to to basketball because they kind of had a weird stretch in which they had a lot of games in a short period of time. They had a seven-game homestand that just wrapped up at the end of last week, which is the longest of the year. It felt like you saw them pretty much every day. And then since then, it's been almost nothing because between Friday and today, Thursday, as we're talking, they played one game. So I think everybody, you know, it's nice to have some time off around the holidays, although they did play Christmas night in Oklahoma City. 
have to have time off, but at the same time, you know, come on, Ben, we love basketball. So I'm, I'm thrilled to get back to actually talking hoops and seeing them on the floor again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes the schedule, uh, the, 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 the Wizards have had, you know, played like every other day for, for some stretches. And sometimes like, okay, I kind of need a little break. And then when they're off for more than one day, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. I got nothing to do here. What are we doing? Get back, get back on the court. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, totally understand that. Um, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth here. I'll ask you questions. You'll ask me questions or wherever we, we take the conversation. Um, sure. just, just to start, like, look, I'm sure everybody comes to you and says, all right, James Harden, Chris Paul, how's that going? I, I, I don't need to go there, partly because one, Chris Paul, from what I understand, is not going to play Friday against the Wizards. Am I right about that? Well, he hasn't been ruled out, but personally, I'm skeptical. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And, and it sounds like Clint Capella is at least dicey, um, as well. Um, you, you know, we, 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 we hate it when the players think ahead, right? The Wizards, they've been accused of maybe looking past some opponents to get to the next game. I don't, I'm not saying that's what happened when they lose to Atlanta, as they did an eight-win Atlanta team with Houston on deck. But, you know, there's some of that perhaps in the air for some of these games. Um, but the, we always, for me, it's hard to not look ahead to the playoffs and imagine with all these teams that we cover – how do they match up against a certain team? For everything the Wizards do, I don't really care what it looks like against Atlanta. I care what it looks like against Boston or Cleveland. And I'm sure for you, on some level, it's got to be the same thing with Golden State. And so with that in mind, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this gets more attention than I, than I recognize. I don't, I don't know. But I think what intrigues me so much about Houston against Golden State, it isn't as much about Harden and Paul, because obviously they have to play at a high level to have any chance. It's the it's the two way wings that you guys have with Trevor Reza, a guy that we all, we we know very well uh, here in the DC area from his time with the Wizards, Luke Mba Umute, who is you know such a presence on the defensive end, and PJ Tucker, another guy who who can hit some threes and and gets after defensively. I'm just so intrigued by what those three guys can potentially do combined with Capella in the middle, combined with Chris Paul at the point defensively against Golden State. You're not shutting the Warriors down. But I, I'm just fascinated by that that trio in particular and how they were assembled. I assume in mind of trying to take down Golden State. Am I is, is that am I right in thinking that there's a lot there, or is that getting am I just missing out on the conversation about those guys? No, not at all. And we saw that a lot opening night in uh, Oakland. That's the only two, that's the only time these two teams have played this year. But the Rockets actually did not. I think Capella only played about 18 minutes that night. The story opening night was their ability to go small. They had a few minutes here and there with Ryan Anderson at the center spot, but basically down the stretch of that game, you had tough wagon lineups, that's what they call it, with P.J. Tucker at the center spot, uh, Lufa Mute at the four, because in that sense, the Rockets were able to effectively switch on everything, and that's what they couldn't do a year ago against the Warriors, and also to a lesser extent the Spurs, because when you're in the Western Conference, you also measure yourself against the Spurs. It just comes to the territory as well. But, yes, they're much more flexible defensively this year. That's why there's a lot more optimism. Unfortunately, in the short term, a lot of this has kind of come to a screeching halt because the Rockets have been without Luka Mute for a couple of weeks. And then over the past week, they've had injuries to uh, Chris Paul and Cliff Capella. To kind of break down what's happened in this three-game slide, Ben, through the first, I, I believe, almost 30 games of the year, the Rockets were sixth in the league in defensive rating. Then two weeks ago, it was the game against Charlotte. That's when Luke Bamute went out with a shoulder injury. They think he's only going to miss one more week. I think the hope is by next Thursday, that's the next time the Rockets play the Warriors, that all three of those guys 
will uh, will be back because certainly a you want to say you're fair against the Warriors, but b you also want to beat them for purposes of seeding, potentially getting a tiebreaker because the Rockets are only one win away from having the season series against the Warriors. So there's a lot of uh, emphasis on kind of that next Thursday, a week from today, as you know when the Rockets seem to get back to being the Rockets. But yeah, I get back to my point on Bob Muche. They were sixth in the league through almost the first thirty games, and then in the two weeks since. The Rockets have been in the in the upper 20s, which is just a staggering decline. And it, it's like I said, it started with Rob Mouche, then you throw in Chris Paul and Clint Capella. And as far as what that means for the Wizards tomorrow night, Capella has been ruled out. Chris Paul has not. Uh, Capella, he's been in and out with a heel injury for the past couple of weeks. Now, that's actually not what he's ruled out with. What he's ruled out with is an orbital fracture. He took an elbow, I believe, from Stephen Adams. In, uh, inadvertent, of course, but, uh, and, and elbow from Stephen Adams is still going to hurt no matter what. So, uh, he took that in the third quarter of the Christmas game and he's been ruled out for the road trip. It's a situation where after the swelling died down in a few days, they're pretty confident that he'll be able to play with a mask and big picture. I think it actually could be a blessing in disguise because while he, you know, lets the swelling and the orbital pressure go down, he also simultaneously gets to rest that heel which is what's been given him issues the past couple of weeks. But in the short term, it's a big hit because I also think earlier in the week, Mike D'Antoni said that the goal was for Mike, um, the goal was for Chris Paul, excuse me, to play in one of these two games on the back-to-back at Washington, at D.C., and now they're kind of walking back from that. So my response to it would be if Clint Capella is not out there, then there may not be as much of a an incentive to push the envelope with Chris Paul. But if let's be real, at Washington, at Boston, on a back-to-back without Clint Capella, the Rockets are going to be underdogs in both of these games no matter what. So I think that may change the calculus a little bit with uh, with Chris as well. Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's no – I mean, that's an interesting point about connecting Paul with Capella and – you're right. At the end of the day, you know, there's definitely, you know, you, you got to win all you can. And obviously Houston's in position to, uh, you know, right now, you know, comp- competing with Golden State for the one seed, which is obviously very important. But at the same point, it's still early on. You can't you can't push it for things like that. So if he's not all, all the way in and, uh, yeah, you don't want to you think it's a bad spot. Don't uh, don't don't risk it. Uh, you know, the one good thing about a Clint Capella injury, though, I assume is that it could mean a little more Nene in our life on Friday night. Uh, I don't know if that's exact correlation, but I, I, I would assume it has to be a little bit, and that obviously is, is fun for those of us who covered him here. Uh, you know, he's had a much different role with the Rockets than he did with the Wizards. Uh, by the way, very, uh, very frustrated. He played 67 games last year, which is most, as many as he played in any single season with the Wizards. We, uh, for all the times I saw Nene not able to get on the court, I was like, really? Now, now you're in shape? Now you're playing? Come on, Nene, what are you doing? Um, but yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it will be a good thing. Um, well, it'll be, it'll be fun to see him out there, but, uh, you know, as far as, who it's good for, that remains to be seen. Uh, one of the stories for the Rockets this year, Nene has not been the guy this year, particularly defensively, that he was a year ago. And that's why when the Rockets have been without Clint Capella, when you look at their season, they've had a lot of injuries. And quite frankly, so does every team around the association. The Rockets, you know, are far from alone in that regard. But they have a winning record without Chris Paul. They have a winning record without Eric Gordon. I think they still have a winning record without Bob Mute, even though they've lost the past three 
But the one guy they do not have a winning record without is Clint Capella, and it's because his skill set is so difficult to replace. Uh, obviously, everyone thinks of his athleticism in the lob game, but defensively, he's gotten a lot stronger. Even from last year, he's developed a lot of strength. He's rangy. He's athletic. He provides them a level of rim protection that a 35-year-old Manet just simply cannot provide. And then they signed Tark Black in the offseason, but Black's been a little bit of a disappointment to this point. Black is a little better defensively than Manet, but offensively, for whatever reason, the chemistry has just not been there on the pick and rolls, which are the bread and butter of Mike Antoni's offense. So with Manet, first off, he's a great guy. I love interviewing him. Great dude. But the Rockets, it's kind of, at this point in the year, you're, you're relying on blind faith to some degree. Because last year, I won't say it was all pretty in the regular season, but in the playoffs, he was tremendous. He was, other than James Harden, the MVP of that first-round series against the Thunder. I think he had one game in which he had 28-13, and 13, and I believe he was 10-10 from the field. He was that good. And so you're at a point in the Nays' career where, of course, he's not playing on the back-to-backs. But in addition to that, he's um, the energy is just not there every, in October, November, December, even when he does play. And I think there's a little bit of blind, you know, kind of blind faith. You say, hey, this guy turned it up when it mattered last year. He played extremely well in the playoffs. There's a good shot that's going to happen again. But ultimately, there is going to be a season, we all know it, where whether it's 35, 36, 37, or he just doesn't have that extra gear that he can kick into. And so that's, you know, I won't say it's a huge worry of mine because, he certainly was able to elevate his play last year when it mattered. But to this point, it's been underwhelming because, well, there's kind of a point of diminishing returns anyway. You don't want to play him over about 20 minutes a game or else there's fatigue and injury issues that uh, could play. But even if, even limiting him to the 15 to 20 minutes, you just see um, not that he was a shot blocker to begin with, but he seemed even a step slower compared to last year. And you hope over time he's able to figure that out but in the short term, Manet has not really been a, uh, a source of strength for the Rockets in these past couple of weeks that Clint Capella has been in and out of the lineup. Yeah, no, I uh, – um, yeah, it, just to go back to one thing you said, Manet is definitely a fun guy to, fun guy to deal with. And, and uh, you know, he, he, you could see the slippage a little bit uh, with uh, when he was here. So, look, obviously, you know, puts a lot – you know, he's – I joke about the injury somewhat, but obviously, um, you know, he, he's been banked up a lot. And uh, I, I had a foot issue the last six months or so where I, I, every time I just started walking around, it just was killing me. And I just kept thinking about, boy, I feel like Nene now. Like every day I'm like, oh, yeah. this is uh, this is terrible. I don't know what I can do. <laughs> um, well, good. Well, I'm excited to see him. Hopefully, uh, bummer that there's no shoot around because the, the, the Rockets will be getting in late. So hopefully I get a chance to talk to him pregame on uh on friday um what uh but i mean i guess all things in general though i mean is this is this season just exceeding all expect well i don't know i don't know if it's exceeding all expectations i mean obviously houston was a very good team already james harden and you know obviously a, a, a ridiculous player mvp candidate i mean has this thing been as you kind of hoped or imagined or is this like even crazier especially that run where with chris paul has chris paul lost the game yet like when he's playing uh, he lost one, but it was the game that he left early due to injury. So if we say games that Chris Paul actually finished, you know he is still not. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I'll just say this from the outside. Obviously, Chris Paul, great player. James Harden, great player. 
I didn't necessarily love it the way some people did, only in the sense that because, you know, I'm not saying anything that's, uh, you know, breaking news here, because both of these guys are such ball-dominant players, on some level, you're taking away what each of them can do when playing together, at least a little bit, so you can't maximize both players, whereas I think one of the keys to Golden State is all four of those main guys can play and not screw each other over. They can they can play at a full level because of how their games are and still work. Um that said, because Harden and Paul can both shoot threes, it does seem like it would work. Whereas, like some people want to put like a non-shooter with John Wall, and I'm like, uh, no, don't do that. You can't, you can't, you know, John Wall can't play off the ball or whatever. You know, you, you have to know your team. So, but 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 I guess just to go back, has this been even what you imagine? Is it way better, or or they're not even really scratched the surface yet? I would say it's been better. It's tough to draw too many long-term conclusions because Chris Paul's only played in about half the games to this point. But, I mean, big picture, even with the three-game losing streak, look, they're tied with Golden State for the fewest losses in the NBA, and at the moment they have the tiebreaker. They're ahead of the Spurs and the race for, you know, to, to make sure you secure a top two seed. Big picture, it's hard not to, you know, if you told Rockets fans that we'd be having this conversation right before the new year, and they'd be 25-7 and seven and tied with the Warriors for the best record in the league, I think anyone in the world would have taken that and, and run with it. It's a phenomenal start, even with the past week. Uh, and the injuries being what they are. So big picture, yes, it's these what they are. As far as Harden and Paul, I would say, you know, we need a larger sample, but I'm fairly encouraged. Now, certainly you want to see the team uh, pick up their defensive intensity. That's been kind of the theme the last couple of weeks. And as far as the Wizards, I'll get your take in a moment because um, this is a matchup where without Chris Paul, it, it worries me how you stop John Wall from attacking the bucket because, James Harden, Eric Gordon, you don't really have an ideal option in the backcourt to pick up uh, Don Wall in terms of stopping penetration. And without Clint Capella, you don't have much in the way of run protection inside, given the issues that um, we just spoke about with Nene. So on paper, it profiles as a pretty friendly matchup for John Wall, and I'd be curious your take on that. But as far as you know, the Rockets, the Harden-Paul integration, the good news, small sample, but we have seen signs lately that those two can play together. Now, to start with, you could really see the synergies when one was off the floor. We talked, Mike Antony has said since the moment the trade was announced in June that a big part of it for them was that all 48 minutes, they would have a Hall of Fame point guard out there. And the point being, at some point, the other team's going to go in a lull that you won't go into because you have at least one of those two guys out there um, guiding the ship. And essentially, you know, people fixate on how they play together. Well, assuming each rest about, you know, 12 or so minutes per game, that means there's half the game when James is going to be out there with that Chris and Chris is going to be out there with that James. And early on, that's where the Rockets found the most success. And that was easiest because, of course, it's putting them back in the roles that they've been having as far as uh, dominating the ball for a lot of their careers. However, the last week or so, as the defense have declined, it's put the Rockets in tougher spots to where they do have to execute late and close games. And, of course, that's going to matter because you get to the playoffs, even if the Rockets are able to, you know, put the band back together, or they get back healthy, and let's say they turn back into that juggernaut that won 14 in a row in 20-21. Even if that happens, the Rockets are not going to blow out the Warriors and the Spurs in playoff series. At best case, you're going to have a lot of close games that have to execute the final six minutes. And when the defense tailed off, a lot of the games on that recent homestand were maybe closer than they should have been, but the Rockets actually performed very well offensively late in close games. The big part of it was um, 
you know, James picking up Chris, and more importantly, Chris picking up James, because before Chris went out with an injury, James Harden had a week where he was sick with a cold, he had a couple of nagging bruises to uh, various parts of his legs, and you could just see that if, if it wasn't James's possession, he was comfortable playing off the ball and letting Chris Paul initiate. So that's been the optimistic thing for the Rockets, is that it's not just a matter of, well, you have these two guys playing all 48 minutes, and they're dominating when the other isn't out there. No, on this recent homestand, we saw them closing out games successfully with Harden and Paul, uh, essentially trading possessions late in the game. And that, to me, is a pretty good sign in terms of, A, that it works, and, B, their selflessness that, you know, no one seemed bothered. You know, it doesn't matter who gets the headlines as long as the Rockets won the game. So it's early. It's a small sample. And hopefully Chris Paul, knock on wood, is healthy enough to stay out there long enough for us to get a better gauge on it. But uh, so far, pretty encouraged. Well, good. Well, hey, you know, it's more fun covering uh, an exciting team than a maddening team. And I know you uh, you, you had some uh, thoughts from me. So uh, steer me where you want me to go because I could talk about the Wizards or I do talk about them way too much already. What, 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 what's from your perspective on the outside? What, what, what sort of intriguing do you, whether about this game or, or about them uh, overall? Well, I guess I have a to go. Um, it, it feels like a bad matchup for the Rockets just because without Chris Paul, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems like a very John Wall-friendly matchup with no real run protector in the middle for the Rockets and not really having a guy who could stop penetration regularly. I'm assuming they'll check, they'll use Eric Gordon to check the ball as much as possible. You'll also see occasionally Trevor Ariza, but I think you're at a point in the year with the Bob Mute injury, Trevor Ariza's been averaging like 42 minutes a game the last couple of weeks. So if he's having to log those type of minutes because of the depth issues, I don't think you want to have him uh, play 42 minutes plus guard John Wall for extended stretches. Now, certainly he will uh, a little bit, but I, I would think in general uh, Eric Gordon checks him at least half the time, and that would seem to be a pretty uh, um, rosy scenario for the Wizards, at least at first glance. As far as what else I'm curious about, um, the Wizards, to me, they worry me from a, uh, a rocket standpoint because they seem like they are able to get up for bigger games. Obviously, the one that stood out before the Rockets played Oklahoma City on Christmas, you look at the Wizards-Celtics game. And the Wizards, from an outsider's perspective, seem like a team that maybe coasting is too strong a word, but the, the, the talent is more than, than the sum of the parts. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have these head-scratching losses from time to time, but when they're on the bigger stages, they seem to have played relatively well. And when the Rockets are coming to town, they're only business. This is a team that right now is tied to the best record in the NBA, has James Harden, the MVP frontrunner. Um, it, it seems like a game that the Wizards would get up for. And the Wizards, to me, feel like a team that when they are fully motivated for a game can be pretty dangerous. Is that a fair assessment? And if it's not, uh, give me some color from the D.C. side of things. Yeah, no, I think I think a lot of what you just said is is is, is spot on. I uh, last night, so we're we're doing this on a Thursday afternoon. Wednesday night, I was covering the uh, Georgetown ba- home basketball game, and I had the Wizards on my um, laptop. And the the Georgetown game decided they wanted to go to double overtime, so I I I, I didn't catch up to the Wizards yeah. until later. But I, I saw enough of the end of the game, which which I've seen before, where against a team that they should easily put away, or, you know, not to disrespect Atlanta, they have eight wins. The Wizards just looked apathetic at times, not hustling, you know, not hustling for, for, for plays. And, you know, 
all the guys that play have a have a hand in it. Same with Scott Brooks, but the starters in particular. When the Wizards have come up short, it's typically the starters look disinterested. Uh, that that what you know whether it's looking past the opponent or or you know I, as I said to you earlier, it's hard for me to not look ahead to how do the Wizards match up against the Celtics or the Cavs or the Raptors in the playoffs. Yep. I think they do that too, and I think that's been part of. The, the problem they, they, they that game seven loss to Boston let them on the one hand it left a bad taste in their mouth but they also came at it with a lot of bravado thinking that they should have won and I feel like they are just ready to get back there and prove that and not doing the necessary work in the in the interim uh to get there they have a winning record it's not like it's been a total disaster by any stretch but they're not they're mm. not doing that they're not doing the, 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 the they're not putting the good the good work in game in game out to build as champions do as the best teams do and, and that's been a um and that's been a huge uh huge issue uh, as as far as uh this game goes you said this is a good game for John Wall I I think you're right I mean you know the, the, when he's been on he's been very good this year he hasn't been on quite as much as I suspect his reputation would let people would let most people think like he'll probably make the all-star team because mm. Because he's an, you know, he's that level player, game in, game out. Like depending on what night you watch him, you may not necessarily think you're watching an all-star player, especially defensively. Um, when the Wizards are bad defensively, often it's because Wall's letting his guy get into the lane, um, and uh, or maybe he's looking to take too many, too many shots. But yes, I suspect we'll see the best version of John Wall against Houston. Same with the other guys. I mean, Bradley Beal and Otto Porter have largely had very good years um one key for the Wizards Markeith Morris had hernia surgery in the offseason he missed the first seven games and was very very slow to get back to his normal form as it were uh we're starting to see that more lately he's starting to hit his threes with a little more regularity he's starting to be more comfortable offensively his rebounding numbers are still not that impressive and he's picking up a technical foul seems like every other game <laughs> so so he yeah so, so that's not ideal but uh you know from the big picture standpoint everybody in these in these parts they like to blame Ernie you know Ernie, they, they like to point out essentially that Ernie Grunfeld is not a Daryl Morey he's not maybe the most creative of of uh front office types he hasn't been able to uh gather assets to build towards a bigger move the way Houston has done multiple times uh and and they like to point to that as potentially an issue for this team, or maybe like the point of a Jan Mahimi who was certainly overpaid as the issue. And I would say to those people, there's there's truth in some of that. That's not why they're struggling against these bad teams. They're struggling against these right. bad teams because the, the the talent they do have is not playing at their full level. We see it too many times to the good. It isn't just that all of a sudden that that you know the the these other issues are the, are the problem. Yes, the, it would be better if they had some more options off the bench. So on a night where Wall or others weren't playing at their best, you could kind of go there, but that's that, that, that's not really the issue. They they have enough stuff to make this work. The starters were very good last year. They can be very good now. They just have to do it a little more consistently, and, you know, 35 games into the year, whatever this is, they haven't shown the ability to do that. Yeah, and last question for you from my end. Um, when you think Wizards, of course, you think John Wall, Bradley Beal, you think the, uh, the perimeter guns that you've got, Curious what your take is on their rim protection at this point in the year, because from a rocket standpoint, it feels like a game where if they're going to be able to steal this, that Nene probably has to take on a bigger role. We talked about him earlier because of his Wizards history. Maybe that makes him 
more engaged because it's his former team. We can call it hashtag the name revenge game. Uh, it just seems like the Rockets have had a lot. The Rockets have had a lot of those, by the way, over the past week. Uh, but when the losing streak was snapped, it was snapped because Corey Brewer, his first game back in Houston, guys averaging two and a half points a game this year, had 21 points on seven of nine shooting. Then two nights later, when they played the Clippers, Lou Williams shot out of his mind, seven of eleven from three. So Rockets fans are very acutely aware of so-called revenge games. So maybe there's a you know psychological thing for Nene there. I think only a second time back to DC. But beyond just any silly things like that, I think big picture, the reason the Rockets need a big game for Nene is because without Chris Paul, with all the other injuries you're dealing with, uh, it, it feels difficult. Other than James Harden scoring 50 or 60, which I guess is always possible to see the Rockets' uh, offense humming the way it needs to to overcome some of their defensive issues due to the injuries. And, you know, the best route I can see the Rockets to, you know, potentially scoring the points they need to win this game is if they have one of those throwback Mene games where all of a sudden he goes, you know, 8 of 10 on the low block and ends up scoring 20 or 22 points. What do the, the, what do the Wizards offer inside? And is this a matchup where – Nene, and you know what Nene offers, kind of a crafty, old-school big. Is this a matchup where he can find some success? Well, in, in a general sense with the Wizards, the, the biggest, like, when, when people talk about what do the Wizards need to do if they are going to make a big move or even it's a subtle move, what do they need? And I do think rim protection is probably uh, pretty high on the list. I mean, Marching Gortat, he's still, you know, everybody talks about the screen assists. And he's definitely a, a big help in that regard. And he'll still get you know, some double-doubles with, with rebounding. And, and points, but he's really not offering much anymore in the way of b- b- protecting the rim. So you have Jan Mahimi, and, and Scott Brooks at times has gone with Jan Mahimi as the late game center if he has a traditional one on the court late. But Jan Mahimi is a is a turnover machine offensively, and uh, either he he's he's not the easiest guy to ride down the stretch. And so if they then go to a small ball lineup, which he probably wouldn't, I guess if Nene is the five, but if you went with a small ball lineup, now you're looking at Markeith Morris at the five with Kelly Oubre and Otto Porter at the at the forwards, and that's not you know th- that that's a very intriguing lineup from the Wizards' perspective, their version of the death lineup or what have you. And they've only been they broke it out late in that Boston game, and it worked to great success. But in terms of defending the rim, mm-hmm. it makes them very vulnerable inside. Not not really a lot of rebounding types. If they're active, as they were against the Celtics. Then, then, then they can do a fine job on the board, but you know, that, that no, no big bodies out there. So, the, it, it's been sort of a tough line for them between, you know, they don't have an agile player like a Capella who can really get up and down, you know, can, can, can kind, of, kind of move inside, the, can move outside the paint to, to defend, but also give you real good force at the rim. They don't really have that piece. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think that they could do it. But if they're using if, – if Mahimi or Gortada are in there against him, that's probably enough. I think if the guards, though, penetrate, I don't think the Wizards really have much of a threat in in there to uh, to, to do much, you know, in that respect. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, Ben, that's all I've got on my end. Uh, any last comments, any last issues we haven't discussed already you want to throw out there? Well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave you with, with this or just ask you this, uh, you, you know, the NBA has obviously changed a lot over the last few years uh, with the style of play. You know, Golden State, you know, certainly sort of pushed it to the, to the forefront with, with the perimeter shooting. But it does feel like Houston has gone with, with Mike D'Antoni has taken it even to another level. I think, what is it, 42 threes that Houston's averaging a game, which, uh, which is mm-hmm. way above. Yeah, it's just silly. <laughs> right. It's way above everybody else. And, look, I get it. This is I'm not an old man screaming at the clouds. I get the efficiency aspect of it all. 
and and that's not so much arguing. But I'm just sort of curious. Like I'm not exactly sure your your background or your age or anything like that. But you know, you guys, meaning the Rockets, won two titles with one of the greatest centers of all time in Akeem Olajuwon. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, he, he had, he was so fun to watch. And, you know, obviously those types of big men just really don't exist for the most part anymore in the NBA. And I'm just sort of curious as somebody who watches Houston night in and night out, aesthetically, do you actually like the game that they play with it? Just so many three pointers that it looks so different than the, than the game maybe we're all used to from a decade or, or, or so ago, or are you, you 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 lo- you love it. It's certainly fun, exciting. Do you like it? Where, where where are you on sort of the night in night out of this type of basketball? I enjoy it. I mean, the ball movement is just exquisite. The pace at which they play. It's certainly weird to see uh, large portions of floor neglected. Although not as much this year because Chris Paul is here and he's you know one of the better mid range players of our generation. You know, the Rockets have said they're you know of course they're not mid range friendly, but if you have a guy like Chris Paul or Dirk Nowitzki, you're not going to take them away from what they do well. So you have seen a little bit more in the way of a mid range game this year, especially late in close games, which has given them an option, you know, more versatility than they didn't have a year ago. But personally, I find it fun. Maybe I'm biased because uh, you know I was a three point shooter myself, so I could be biased in terms of my own preferences. But keep in mind, it certainly wasn't to this extent, but that second Rocket title team in the 90s, that was sort of the beginning of small ball. Yeah. They dealt away <laughs> Odestora for Clyde Drexler during the season. And, you know, you're playing the small ball with Robert Roy at the four, Mario Ellie at the three, and then your backcourt of uh, Kenny Smith or Shane Cassell at uh, Clyde Drexler. So that was sort of the beginning of having, you know, four out. And even though you had a team, it was very uh, – you know, non-traditional at the time, I would say that's when a lot of Rockets fans grew to, you know, see that, hey, this can be a pretty fun way to play. And even if it's, you know, different at the same time, you know, when you see the ball movement, especially led by two of the best passers on the planet and James Harden and Chris Paul, it's hard not to enjoy it. And then the other side of it, you know, Ben, I try not to get bogged down in the aesthetics too much because for me, it's always about, you know, are they closer to actually catching the Warriors? Are they closer to actually winning a title? And I think the reality is that their their system is exaggerated because it has to be. I think, you know, when the Rockets hired Joe, uh, or not Joe, when, when Joe Moore and the Rockets hired Mike and Tony uh, essentially a year and a half ago, people knew how great the Warriors were when they were coming off of 73 wins, and people knew that, you know, there's a decent shot they'd get Durant, which they did. This is just a transcendent team, by far the most talented in the history of the NBA, in my opinion. And, you know, extremes have to be warranted if you're going to, you know, compete with a team like that. And so I think just for the Rockets, just from a big picture philosophical standpoint, what Gerald Borey in the front office realized, and I agree with them on this, the best shot you have against a team like Golden State is to increase the variance to where in one given game, if you shoot that many threes and if you – you know, if you can actually make, say, 20 or 50 on a given night, it's going to be really, really tough for the math to work, no matter who the opponent is, to overcome that level of three-point shooting. And, you know, I'm not sure that even Gerald Morey envisioned going it uh, to this extreme when he first took the job over a decade ago, but I just sort of think it's a sign of the time that if you're going to compete with the Warriors, and then, of course, stylistically, the Warriors have so many shooters, they play small, you also have to you know, kind of match up with them from an athletic perspective as well, and that kind of lends itself to the three-point shooting also. But more than that, I just think big picture philosophically, when you shoot such a high volume of three, it makes your performance, um, 
it increases the variance, and that's kind of what you have to have if you compete with the Warriors, because to beat the Warriors, you can't just have an A game. You need to have an A-plus-plus game. They are that good. And by the Rockets shooting that many threes, it gives them a shot, not a guarantee, but it gives them a shot on any given night to get to a level that hardly anybody else can get to. And so I think it's less about, you know, Joe Morey or Mike Santoni's just master vision. I think it's more a little bit of that and just a reflection of the current times and what you've got to do if you want to even think about taking four out of seven from the Warriors to come May or June. Gotcha. Yeah, no, and, and I think you make I, – I, I like all that. And, and your point about the that Rockets team with, with, with Elijah on, absolutely right. You guys like Kenny Smith – um, you know, on the perimeter, uh, you know, you had the one guy inside, a bunch of guys on the outside, and it was sort of a, a, a early look at, at where this game would evolve to. Um, you know, well, I, 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 so sometimes I get a little, uh, um, I don't know if annoyed is the right word, but, you know, the Daryl Morey love out there, sometimes I, it can be, sometimes it seems a little blind on some spots, but I mean, you, ha- you, sure. have to, you have to love the innovation, the, the willingness to take risk, um, you know, the, the ability to, continue to gain assets while simultaneously keeping a team in contention and then turning those assets into things. Uh, the Wizards really have just struggled in that department for the most part. I mean, they've gone the opposite way the last few years. They've traded away three of their last four first-round picks, and they've only had one of their potential eight picks over the last four years even play a game for them uh, because they're continually just flipping those picks for veterans, either, right. you know, some guys who, you know, who, who are still here, but some guys who are not. And, you know, that's sort of the old school way of dealing with problems. And, um, you know, yeah, that, I understand where fans complain about it from that perspective. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I miss, I miss some of the old school game of, of, of the bigs being, uh, you know, sure. real factors. Uh, the, the, you know, but like you, I was a kid in the playground who disliked hoisting up threes. So, <laughs> So, uh, so, or yeah, you, pr- yeah. you probably played more than I don't want to discredit your game. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, interesting stuff. Well, look, man, I, I know we've, I've kept you here, so I'll let you go. Definitely appreciate your time. Are you, are you a, uh, traveler? Am I going to see you on Friday or we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just talk some other time. We'll talk some other time. I'm not a traveling geek guy. I, I do all the home games, but I don't travel with them. There's only for Houston. You'll see, uh, Jonathan Fagan from the Chronicle on church through the trip. Uh, we'll see it. Of course, ESPN doesn't have a full-time beat writer on the Rockets anymore, but uh, Tim McMahon has covered them a lot, so he's almost kind of de facto that. So, yeah, you'll see Fagan, you might see McMahon, but uh, no, I don't go on many road trips unless it's a, you know, a very close road trip like Dallas, San Antonio, New Orleans, one of those. Right. No, I'm the same way. I went up to Philly, but for the most, and I'll I'll maybe hit up uh, another one or two in the East, but yeah, for the most part, the Wizards beat's the same. It's sort of funny that the NBA everybody talks about the ratings are improving. There's a lot more interest, but yet I notice on the road at most, it's like the the big city paper has sent somebody and that's kind of it. It's kind of interesting. Whereas like oh, the football, it's uh you know, I know a lot less games. It's a lot easier, but you know, every outlet in town from the, from the big newspaper to the local grocery chain, grocery store chain is sending somebody to cover the game. So <laughs> next step, next step. Yep. Yep, exactly. And it's such a it's such a fascinating dynamic. I mean, we could talk about the you know, the journalism landscape for hours, but I've noticed the same exact thing, which is that, you know, there's such a demand for content, the ratings are up, all that kind of stuff. But the problem is there are so few gigs these days that pay for a full time reporter. And by that I mean, you know, all the associated costs of traveling, 
that kind of stuff. And it's just an interesting dynamic because there's so much of a demand for content out there. Obviously, that's great for us given the the podcast here, Locked on Rockets and Locked on Wizards. But at the same time, um, you know, there are so few positions. It's so tough to make the money work. There's some money, certainly, but to make the money work for full-time positions on uh, in the digital age. And so, yeah, at least a weird dynamic in which there's all this demand for content. But uh, unfortunately, there's not that many people that are there more than half the time, meaning, you know, you're there for the home games but not for the road games. Of course, you know, we try to do the best we can, of course, watching on TV and, you know, that gives us a chance to, you know, re- pause, rewind, all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, it, it is interesting. It's one of those things you hope that over time uh, the industry is going to be able to make the, the math work because, you know, having more of a traveling party, that certainly – and the other thing about it, I mean, beyond just – getting better coverage for a given game, you know, it's the road trip where you actually build more connections with players, coaches, the people around the team. Because when you're at home, you know, everybody's there. There's so there's such a long line for every player and coach's attention when they're at home between the increased media, the fans, everything else going on, their families, whoever it may be. Whereas on the road, you know, if you just go on a road trip, it's pretty much just you and them. And that's when you can form, you know, bonds that can be essential for down the line in terms of having sources for stories, getting exclusive things. So it's one of those things, you know, I wish that I could go on more road games than, um, than I do, but I'm far from alone in, in, in that regard. And I'm sure you, you get that dynamic as well. It's just something that, you know, as uh, people in the industry, we hope over time that it can eventually, we can make a little bit of progress. Yeah, no, no, you're you're totally right. I mean, the road is where I think a lot of the juice is, and unfortunately, uh, yeah, I mean, they recognize if you're there, then you know, you're not traveling the exact same sphere, but at the same point, they're going through something, and you're going there too. And ever anybody who's ever been on a on your own road trip, you're driving from here to there. That's always where a good bonding takes place, and it's a little bit of that if you get them there. But yeah, getting you getting yourself there is the problem for many in this day and age without being associated to a uh, major outlet. But it is what it is. Well, maybe it's a good, maybe it's a podcast we can all uh, talk about some other uh, time. But for now, Ben, really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Lock, locked on Rockets, very good stuff over there. Uh, appreciate your time, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Ben. All right, many thanks to Ben. I hope that sound quality wasn't too bad for you guys. We talked uh, over the phone. Um, fun conversation. I had not. I had, uh, don't know Ben. I just that was our first conversation, so I, I enjoyed that. He's got a good handle on the Rockets, and, and we'll see if the Wizards have a good handle on, on the Houston. I, I do think just for, for this game, the fact I, th- I think he makes an interesting point that you know without Chris Paul, who's you know considered to be one of the better point guard defenders. And without Clint Capella, who's their shot blocker, you know, it, it is one of those games where John Wall could probably feel pretty confident about going hard to the basket, getting to the rim. And, and that's obviously a good sign for the Wizards when he's in attack mode. You know, that's a good place to be. So we'll see how it goes for the Wizards um, in this game against Houston as we get closer to the end of the uh, 2017 calendar year. And it's funny, the Wizards end the season on uh, New Year's, well, on December 31st, uh, 3.30 tip time against the Bulls. But what's interesting is like that was a game that was not considered to be a, uh, a, a tough one, and all of a sudden things look a lot different, right? Because the Bulls have become one of the hotter teams in the East in recent games with Nicole Miritich back, so... We'll see how that goes. Of course, again, first first things first, the Houston Rockets up should be an, an exciting game. 
whether it me- whether it proves anything about the Wizards uh, long haul, I don't know. Who knows? I doubt it because you know they, if they come out and don't put uh, forth a good effort going forward, then we just have the same roller coaster ride that we've had through thirty five games. In any event, they are nineteen and sixteen. Let me not overlook that. Let's not bury that part of the lead. They are still in good position. They just have to start doing it. And anybody who's giving them an excuse that it was just a one-game loss to Atlanta, no, don't. Don't do that. Come on. We're better than that, people. All right. Uh, that's it for, for now. Ben Stanton here signing off from the Lockdown Wizards podcast. Again, reminder, send me your emails or tweets, New Year's resolutions for the Wizards, players, coaches, <clears throat> dare I say Ernie Grunfeld, whatever you got, a couple sentences, Send them to me, bstandig1 at gmail.com or at Twitter at benstandig with hashtag WizResolutions. All right, until next time, see ya. Deal gets open for three. Dagger! Long drive, long shot. Dagger!